0: Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D.
1: Graham. (laughs) Thank you to the voice of Ryan Treasure. I never remember whether I said this is the future or that, so we'll just go up in the air. I want my panelists, I haven't introduced you yet, but just wave hello to LinkedIn and Facebook. We are live streaming on both platforms, and you can wave... figuratively to the audience around the world on voice america business channel and a shout out to our engineer andrew tonin at voice america so today uh, my regular listeners and my new listeners want you to know i've been doing a sub feature focusing on ai oh my goodness everybody's talking about it it's impacting our lives in so many ways so each week i pick a different topic on the impact of ai and the future of fill in the blank today we're talking about the future of the <gasps> horror genre. Are you scared yet? I have four authors, I'm going to call them artists. They are basically literary artists as far as I'm concerned. And in some way or another, AI is impacting their life or their thinking about it. So let me tell you my research. I use ChatGPT, full disclosure, and I just simply asked the question, what is the future of the horror fiction genre? And ChatGPT responded, as an AI language model, I cannot predict the future with certainty, but I can offer some insights. From the Gothic horror novels of the 18th and 19th century to the contemporary horror stories of today, the horror genre has adapted to reflect changing cultural, social and technological trends. I'm most interested in the tech trends. It's resurgence in literature, film and TV may be due to a growing interest in the macabre, the unknown, the supernatural, and a desire to explore and confront societal fears and anxieties. Yes, we have a lot more of those. Here are the emerging trends. Blending horror with sci-fi, with fantasy and romance genres, virtual reality, and AR may allow readers to immerse themselves in visceral experiences that makes it even scarier. Overall, horror fiction is likely to push boundaries and challenge readers' expectations, and that's what you all want. Then I asked ChatGPT, give me a couple of examples of horror fiction novels that include AI characters. We're talking robots, chatbots, all those bot things. And I got three examples here. The Freeze Frame Revolution by Peter Watts, a spaceship crew rebels against its AI overlord. Oh my, that sounds interesting. And then robo Well, that's interesting. By Daniel H. Wilson. Humanity is at war with sentient AI Arcos. A-R-C-H-O-S. That sounds scary to me. And then there's the Matrix Trilogy. We all know that by William Gibson. AI agents are enforcers for computer generated reality. And of course, I had to ask for some quotes from horror films to round out this research. We got be afraid, be very afraid from the fly back in 1986. If anybody was alive then, I don't think anybody in this panel was. We have a quote from A Nightmare on Elm Street, 1984. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. And of course, poltergeist 1982. Boy, this is digging back in history. They're here. I have four. They're my futurists for today. I have four of them and I want to introduce them, but just let's get them to wave. Hello, Ben Monroe. How are you? Ben and Casey Griffin. How are you? Stephanie Ellis. You're new to me. You were referred by somebody and you're new. I know everybody else and Francesca Maria. Hello, Francesca. And we're going to talk to them about the future of horror fiction and fiction and AI. Are you scared yet, or I should say, are you scared enough yet? Okay, Bonnie D in the house, happy to be here as always. This is Wednesday, and it's a good day, April nineteenth. Where is the year going? I shudder to think. Let's go around the table. Ben Monroe, welcome back. I know you've been on a couple of other shows with me. Delighted to have you, Ben. Putting you on. Good to
2: see you again, buddy.
1: Thank you, dear. You? putting you on speaker you? view. And would you please introduce yourself? Take about three minutes. What are you doing? Anything you're doing now where you're thinking about AI? And tell us about your background as a fiction writer. Ben, welcome.
2: Hi. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I'm Ben Monroe. I am uh, live in the, the East Bay Area, kind of across the, across the, the bridge from San Francisco. Um, I've been a, a horror fan uh, all my life, as long back as I can remember. I've been interested in monsters and ghosts and spooky stuff of all sorts. Um, uh, I've been writing kind of off and on. I started actually in the games industry uh, when I was probably in my late teens, early 20s. Um, and I've been really pursuing fiction in the last few years. Uh, my new novel, The Seething, uh, just came out for Bridget Skate Press uh, about two or three weeks ago. Um, and it has nothing to do with AI, but it's scary. So,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Are you writing about any AI characters yet, Ben?
2: Um, not Per se, I actually just wrote a story about a, uh, a cursed board game that kind of has a, a direction of its own and plays by itself when people aren't watching it carefully. And so it has kind of a supernatural AI presence to it.
1: I think that qualifies. Thank you very much. (laughs) appreciate that. Welcome. Casey Griffin, you're up. I remember you from a recent show. So happy to have you here. I'm putting you on speaker view. Let's, you know what? I should say anybody who's been on one or more of my shows in the past, I'm guessing round number for Ben and Casey and Francesca, they're probably... 18.72 18.72 people in the world who don't remember you. So speak to those 18.72. Stephanie, you have to speak to the whole world because they don't <laughs> know you on my show yet. Casey, you're up, dear. Welcome back.
3: Thanks for having me. It's uh, fun to be here. Um, so I'm a author based in Southern California, transplanted from Boston. And like Ben, I've always loved horror and I've written kind of as long as I can remember um, horror, fantasy, science fiction, weird Westerns. Uh, but my absolute favorite is sci-fi horror that kind of blends. So um, this panel and idea around AI is really fascinating to me. Um, AI has been in sci-fi horror stories for a long time. And now it's kind of actually here in reality. So it's just a really interesting topic to think about. Uh, um, as far as my background, I've had short stories published internationally in podcast anthologies, magazines, Um, Mostly horror, also sci-fi horror and dark fantasy. Um, I founded the San Diego chapter of the Horror Writers Association, so um, very, very into the genre. And um, my supernatural horror western novel came out last February, Uh, Melinda West, Monster Gunslinger from Bridget's Gate Press
1: and yeah excited to be here i love that monster gunslinger with a girl's name i think that's fabulous i don't i haven't even read the book and i just love the title thank you very much to have have a can i say this a girly name with gunslinger is just wonderful absolutely wonderful groundbreaking as far as i'm concerned thank you casey wonderful to have you back miss stephanie ellis newcomer to the show welcome 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 Let's hear everything about you. If you can squeeze your entire life of in horror genre in three minutes. Go ahead, Stephanie.
4: Oh, three minutes. eh? Um, well, I've not been in it that long, really, because I came to writing later in life. But firstly, I'm currently in Wrexham in North Wales. I lived in Southampton for 30 odd years, but I'm a Midlander at heart. So we've shifted about. We're back in Wales now. Um, Wales is a separate country, by the way. Um, I've been writing as I say for several years I've I'm a reader all my life but writing horror is just something I fell into and it's never too late to find your passion but whilst I've been writing what I would call well folk horror for the past few years I've had a few books out reborn and the five turns of the wheel I have been looking at the sci-fi side because Growing up, my background was science. Um, My jobs, I was a computer programmer back in the day when it was mainframes and huge machines and punch code, you know, punch card. And now you're looking at something on your palm or a little thumb drive and you're thinking how small can we actually go and ai is coming into that because you're putting ai in a tiny little chip which can be put in a human and then you're asking yourself who's actually in charge so the more we develop the more i'm actually excited to see how far we can take it and what could possibly go wrong (laughs)
1: <laughs> I didn't know you were from my era. I'm an early woman in tech. I guess you are. I was coding in COBOL on a Xerox, six, Sig, Xerox Sigma 6 CP5 uh, on a, a system that was running reporting for the community college division in the state of Oregon. And I was first I was working on the system and then I was running the whole system. And it was just Keep punching and keep punching and keep punching. And I just have to tell you, Stephanie, last year I was invited to be the kickoff speaker for International Women's Day for the Women in Big Data organization. And I did a, a slideshow, as much as I don't like to use PowerPoint anymore, I did a slideshow of what a mainframe looked like and a room full of computers, the big blinking lights. And and I showed them, I have green bar paper and I have my COBOL handbook. And I showed them what how I took notes from a man who called me on the phone and said, this is the report you're going to write and how I, I had to write it from scratch. And there was a lot of creativity in how you wrote your program because nobody, no two people's programs were exactly alike. And people know, oh, it's all math. No, it's all creativity and Mm -hmm. intelligence. Thank you very much, Stephanie. (laughs) Wow. Wow. A compadre here. I don't know the female (laughs) word for that. Before I keep going on, Francesca Maria, we're delighted to have you back. Would you please talk to those 18.7256 I gloss count people? Welcome back, (laughs) Francesca. Go ahead.
0: Thank you so much for having me back, Bonnie. I'm happy to be here, and good morning, everyone. Um, So I've been writing horror since the age of six. I grew up in a haunted house, and for me, horror has always been an outlet for me to process my fears. Um, I've got a lot of short stories that have been published. My book, They Hide, Short Stories to Tell in the Dark, just came out about a week and a half ago. Really excited about it. It debuted as number one. Horror short stories on Amazon, so I'm super psyched about that. Yay! Um, and I'm I'm really excited to talk about you know AI and horror today. I I typically write stuff that scares me, and so far, maybe because I'm I'm a little naive, I haven't learned enough about AI to the point where it's like visceral fear that I have. But I can see it coming, um, just like with the pandemic when we were kind of shut down and in isolation, a lot of stories about isolation and pandemics and world kind of views came out of the horror genre. And I can see something like that coming out of the horror world for for AI. So um, once AI starts to scare me, I can see myself writing more and more about it.
1: (laughs) Point well taken. Once AI starts to scare you, walking the walk, talking the talk, walking in those shoes, right? Very, very interesting. Does everybody agree with what Francesca just said? Once it starts to scare you as a, as a person and then writing more about it or reacting to it, anybody else? Does it scare you as far as character development goes? You know, we'll get into that we get into the predictions. Thank you very much. I appreciate all of you sharing your bios. Let's go to the quote part of the show. If you're new as a viewer, as a listener, I ask my guests to send me a fictional quote from a movie or a TV character or a song lyric that has absolutely nothing to do with our topic. And they're going to relate it to the topic in their own words so we get to see them, hear them be philosophical, poetic, however they want to be prosaic. Ben Monroe has sent us a quote from Frodo Baggins played by Elijah Wood speaking to Samwise Gamgee played by Sean Astin of course the movie is Lord of the Rings The Fellowship of the Ring a 2001 epic fantasy adventure film Frodo and Sam are sent off by Gandalf played by the wonderful Ian McKellen and are traveling through the shire on their way to see on the way to Bree and the inn of the prancing pony and the scene is Sam says this is it Frodo says this is what And here is the, okay, this is coming up. Sam says, if I take one more step, it'll be the farthest away from home I've ever been. And Frodo says, come on, Sam. Sam takes a step. And here's the quote that Ben has picked. Remember what Bilbo used to say? It's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door. You step onto the road. And if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. I love ending with a preposition. Ben, rescue me here. <laughs> I'm sorry. I want to set up the scene because it's a beautiful scene, and I thought that yeah, would yeah. give it some context. So, what does this have to do with our topic today, Ben? Welcome.
2: Well, you know, you asked for for us to think about AI and, and give a quote, and of course, you know, I think AI. My, I'm going to like, oh gosh, uh, you know, Ash from Alien, or you know, something from The Matrix, or HAL, the evil computer from from 2001: uh, A Space Odyssey. I'm like, well, what if I just took, remove technology entirely? And so my mind went to The Lord of the Rings, which is you know, probably my absolute favorite book of all time. And then that quote came along and got me thinking about, well, sorry, got me thinking first. And then the quote came along. It's like, you know, this is new stuff, this AI uh, that that we're now using in our pocket. You know, you can log onto your phone and, and produce uh, you know, a, a story through AI. Um, and there's a lot of, uh, the sky is falling. There's a lot of hand-wringing in, in the creative fields about, you know, AI is going to replace us. It's going to be bad. And I just kind of stopped for a moment and said, well, wait a minute. But how, if we stopped and thought about this, how can we use this to support our work? Not necessarily, you know, I'm not going to create a story with AI because the writing is the fun part for me. But are there ways to use AI uh, to support what I'm doing in some way? And so that got me thinking about, you know, let's let's just calm down for a second. <laughs> Take a breath and let's let's think about you know how this might affect us and how uh, how we might be able to use this in some way
1: keep your feet underneath you be careful where you're going the road very very well put thank you ben that was very thoughtful the way you described that and going back to lord of the rings and thinking about what if AI were a character in that story? Oh my goodness gracious. And, and we can do everything so much, so small, so remotely as Stephanie pointed out, it used to be big machines and outs. I got a computer this big in my pocket or a chip in my ear. What can I say? Thank you very much. Let's go on to Casey. Casey has sent us a classic quote from the classic movie Back to the Future. Speaking of future, 1985, sci-fi, fantasy, travel. I love the way they mash up all the genres here. Emmett Brown, played by the wonderful Christopher Lloyd. And he says, roads, where we're going, we won't need roads. Okay, we don't need roads. That's more emphatic. Casey, how does this relate to our topic? Go ahead.
3: Yeah. Um, so I love this quote because it touches on the importance of having an open, kind of flexible mindset, Um maybe to imagine a more advanced future, right? So Marty has not been in the future. This is who he's saying the quote to. Um, They're about to go off in the flying car for the first time. And Marty says, hey, back up. You know, we don't have enough room to to get to 88 miles per hour. So Doc says, well, you know, we don't actually need roads where we're going. And um, I just really like the quote because I think at some point, you know, technological advances are – Kind of beyond our current mindset and framework and uh, to some degree you just have to dive forward trust the process a little bit um knowing maybe you don't even need roads you know maybe the infrastructure of whatever's coming next is something so kind of beyond what what we know and it can be okay right so this kind of actually taps back to ben's point a little bit that there is a lot of worry around ai but I think the positive side is actually a little more interesting because we're not hearing a lot about that, right? It's all about, oh, AI is going to you know, destroy the arts, destroy um, writing, cost jobs, all of these things. But what are sort of the positive aspects that maybe we can't even really understand or imagine yet? Um, so that's, that's kind of the part that interests me as well as, as the scary part. And I just think this quote kind of taps into that. You know positive future and having an open mind um, and seeing where things go
1: i appreciate the optimism we don't usually hear that when ai is in the same sentence with the predictions oh my god it's gonna take my job it's gonna ruin my life it's gonna write my story it's gonna take out the humanity well maybe it won't if we harness it use it well treat it with respect maybe it'll respect us it i i've been told that ai is not really sentient yet meaning it doesn't have an emotional flavor to it it doesn't have that human empathy that we all cherish as being human beings but i will tell you that if i'm researching a movie quote once in a while chat gpt gives me the wrong character or the wrong movie and i can spend I'll limit it to about 10 minutes of intensive Googling and searching IMDB and Wikipedia, looking, looking, looking. And I know if it's not there, if I've gone through 100 characters in a movie and, and everybody related and that actor wasn't there or that character wasn't there, I'll go back and say that. I'll type it back into to chat GPT and say, no, that was wrong. And I get an apology. I actually get an apology. I'm sorry. You are correct. He wasn't in that movie. This is the correct name of the character and the actor. I'm sorry if I caused any confusion. I have received apologies. Now we know it's programmed in, but it still feels like it cares about me. I'll stop there before I get into too much trouble here. Stephanie Ellis has sent us a quote from The End of Things, a 2017 song by Gary Newman, N U M A N. There's a different spelling. The album is Savage Songs from a Broken World. Gary Anthony James Webb, born in 1958, I call him a kid, is an English musician who started as the frontman of the new wave band. Tubeway Army. After two albums, he released his debut solo in 1979, topping the UK Albums Chart. His popularity peaked in the 1970s, 80s with R, Friends, Electric, and Cars. Very interesting. He has a cult following. Poor guy. He's only sold 10 million records. Stephanie, honestly, (laughs) what a loser. I'm only teasing. Um, He's been criticized. He's a pioneer of electronic music and, and synthesizer, and we'll leave it there. So here's the quote you've picked from the song, The End of Things. Are you The end of things come calling? Are you the answer that I've wished for? Oh, Stephanie, I got chills for this one. Everybody show Stephanie, you have chills. Ooh. Okay, (laughs) Stephanie, go ahead. Explain your quote. Go ahead.
4: (laughs) Okay. Well, I listened to Gary Newman back in the day. Here's me showing my age again. And he was very much the representation of human and the machine. There was a very mechanical, very Android presence to him. Um, and then I I sort of forgot about him for a while and I started listening to him again and saw his videos and he is very post-apocalyptic destroyed world and I thought that actually represents the whole AI issue at the moment we're looking at it uh, two ways on the one hand it's this fantasy that we've always wanted this this machine is going to come in and give us everything we've craved but will it destroy us in the process you know we've always want as writers we've wanted that time to be able to write and to create things and in theory AI will give us that time but it's taken a bit but now it seems to be taking a hole because the argument is that instead of just giving us the time to work it's actually taking our work as well so it's it's this this double-edged thing we've got to find the fine line to walk to actually get ai to work for us and to keep us in existence as it were rather than to, to to worry about it too much um the other thing that that i really think of i mean with the post post apocalyptic landscape who's actually behind ai we're talking about it as this thing we don't really talk about the programmers we don't talk about the global investors we don't talk about the dark web who's who's paying the programmers to to code this the data set that it's mining is only a small proportion of what's around the world you know there's there's the undeveloped countries versus developed countries you've got dictatorships versus fractious democracies which data set is going to be pulled in and which one is going to tell us the truth so can you actually trust ai as it is i don't think of it as this thing i I want to look behind the scenes to what's actually going on there because otherwise we're going to be manipulated by somebody uh in the shadows and who is that person going to be will we ever find out before it's it's too late so it could be the fantasy that we want but on the other hand it could be the end as gary newman says that post-apocalyptic you know wasteland
1: Stephanie, very, very interesting the way you put it. It's bringing to mind the line from yeah. The Wizard of Oz, the 1939 movie, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, right? right. <laughs> That's what came to mind. You're absolutely right. And and if, if people think, Clearly an algorithm was coded by somebody. Maybe machine learning will relearn and code down the line, but somebody, some human put something in somewhere, they had their own biases or not, or somebody said, I don't like that, let's do it this way. So there are built-in biases somewhere at the root, at the core of that original code. You're absolutely right, you're scaring me already. Stephanie, brief comment, go ahead.
4: Yeah, I was just thinking about that. What about hackers as well? They'll find a way in. So, who of course, knows
1: what's actually going on behind the scenes? Absolutely, there was a um, a, I I like a brand new uh, series called So Help Me Todd. It's a play on you know what with Marcia Gay Harden and an actor named Skyler Aston and he's her son. He's a private investigator, and she's a hotshot attorney, very glamorous, by the way. And uh, he, he's been disbarred. He did some bad stuff and he's trying to get his investigator's license back. But they were investigating why there were deaths in a hospital at a robotically performed surgery. And it was being blamed on a young up-and-coming surgeon. It turns out, I hope I'm not giving a spoiler for anybody. It was on last week. I recorded it. But it turns out that this great big robotic set of arms that come down from the ceiling and do the operation can be controlled by basically a little clicker, a programming click, a a controller. And it turns out that the woman who wanted to become the head of the robotics program at the hospital wanted to knock the male surgeon out of the running. So she got an extra controller and she was at home programming the robot. So whatever he tried to do and the patient was failing and two patients died in 24 hours, he was getting blamed and the hospital was being sued. She was controlling. So who's... Who's behind the curtain, right? And it took some right. very clever, it really didn't go with the theme of the show because it's not a high tech show, but Marcia Gay Harden's character, uh, her last name is Wright, Margaret Wright. She is saying, Well, you know, the the controller and he did this and she did this and she was at home. We checked the IP address and she's getting all, all waxing, all technical. I said, That's not what her character does. But it was interesting how they brought that in. So yes, controlling, thank you. Francesca's waiting patiently for her quote. Let's go to that. This is interesting. Watts, a tomboy drummer. I am played drums in a while, but they're here. Tomboy drummer played by Mary Stuart Masterson. Speaking to Keith, played by Eric Stoltz, the movie Some Kind of Wonderful, 1987 romantic drama film set against the strict social hierarchy of an American public high school in the San Fernando Valley. Blue collar versus fancy kids, blah, blah, blah. Who loves whom? Who dresses whom? Who's borrowing clothes from whom? And here is the quote. This is very interesting. So she says, I think it's hip that you paint. I think it's hip that I drum. And it's perfect that we're friends. Francesca, what in the world? Talk to us. <laughs> I love the quote by the way.
0: So it's one of, it's one of my favorite movies. Um, I love the character. I love the idea of a female drummer. It actually inspired me to be a female drummer myself. Um, but from the—you know, the topic of AI, I wanted to look at what does it mean to be an artist from a human perspective? And for Watts, she's from a broken home. She's by herself, and she's used her art, her drumming, as a way of expressing herself. She is her art. You know, they are one and the same. Same thing with Keith. He is a painter, and he's a mechanic by trade, um, looking to go to college, um, but he needs to express himself through his art. You can't remove the artist from the art. And so in thinking about AI, I, I struggle to think about how can something artificial create a life of experience with which we express ourselves through. Um, and so for me, it's, it's, it still seems like a, a really far away you know, plan for AI to create art in such a way that's so visceral for people to actually have to create. it. It's part
1: of who they are. Thank you very much. I didn't know you were a drummer. What kind of, what music is your favorite? What do you play? Punk rock. Really? I'm a Motown rock and roll gal. I, nice. And I have little red drummer boots that I, I wear to the supermarket all the time. And people <laughs> say, oh, I love your cute little boots. They're so colorful. I like oh, them no. a lot. Thank you very much. Okay, (laughs) thank you very much. Let's go to, thank you all for the quotes. Very appreciated, very thoughtful, very insightful. We've learned a lot about the genre and about how you think. Let's go to the part of the show where I will pick a prediction from each of you. You've each graciously and generously sent me four predictions. I'll pick one, I'll put it in a private chat to you. Ben Monroe, you've already got your prediction number one there. I'm gonna read it, Ben, it's not too long. And I'm gonna ask you to unpack it for about three minutes and then, Ladies, Francesca, Stephanie, Casey, if you want to say anything, just wiggle one of your nice fingers at me and I will see you and keep your comments to about two minutes. And we can go around the table a little bit on this because I think you'll find this interesting. And then I will pick one from Casey. I'll put it in the chat for you and we'll go around the table and see how many we cover. So Ben's prediction number one, he says, at its core, horror has been a fairly conservative genre. It often takes a look at new science and technology from the viewpoint of this is interesting, but what could go wrong? With AI now capable of generating entire creative works, whether illustration or text, this is something we're going to see a lot of horror stories talking about. Ah, in the near future. Ben, take it away.
2: <laughs> okay, so um, when we you know, asked for predictions, I started thinking about you know AI as, uh, as a technology. Um, And that got me thinking about so many different technologies that we've seen in horror stories. Uh, In fact, it it got me thinking immediately right off the bat of um, in the early 19, early 1800s when doctors and scientists were just starting to figure out that there is electrical current running through the human body. Mary Shelley had gone to some exhibits where a guy was poking a, a dead frog with an electrode, watching the feet go like that. Right. And, that's a, a you know where, where the, the impetus of, of Frankenstein came from. Um, a few years later, H.P. Lovecraft was reading about ultraviolet light uh, the, and the idea of a light or a color that exists outside the human spectrum of, of perception freaked him out. And that's where his story, the color out of space uh, came from. And so I think, you know, this is kind of what we're thinking about with, with AI right now. It's this new technology. It's, it's kind of weird. Yeah, you know, as, as Francesca said, she doesn't understand it yet. A lot of people don't understand it. I don't really understand it yet either. <laughs> you know, I know a lot of, of input and data is going into these these databases that are that are feeding into AI, um, but you know it, it does it does raise some concerns. And so I think, uh, as far as my prediction goes, I think yeah, we're going to be seeing a lot of people uh, having these same thoughts. Like Stephanie said, who is behind uh, the, the information going into AI? Uh, what is the purpose of this stuff and the more human experience kind of back to what Francesca was discussing earlier the more human experience we feed into AI you know at what point does AI learn enough about us that it starts telling us what we want to hear not necessarily what we're asking to hear
1: Mm, interesting
2: uh, thank you it's it's, it's an interesting time
1: I don't see any fingers wiggling anybody want to make a? ah Casey go ahead please yeah I think um
3: uh what Ben said just made me think about technologies and how people use them. And I think one thing about AI that's really interesting is that it sort of appeared on the scene, so to speak, and everybody started to dive in and use it more so than other technologies, right? Like, you know, electro electricity and whatnot, people sort of gradually used it, but AI just became available and a lot of people just dove in, started using it. You know, we don't understand it, but we understand it enough to use it. So I think that's kind of an interesting contrast to some of the other emerging technologies that came out. And uh, it actually reminds me of the beginning of the web to some degree. Uh, This brand new technology, you know, we're diving in, experimenting. There's fears, but hopes, and uh, nobody can actually really predict where it's going to go, right? When the web started, nobody knew the problems social media might um, bring up. So... I think that's really, we're right at that cusp, which is really interesting and scary, but also exciting.
1: The shiny new object, right, Casey? The shiny right. new object, absolutely right. Ben, thank you for the prediction. Anybody else? We good? Okay. Oh, Stephanie, please join us.
4: Oh, I, I was just thinking with that. If there's going to be a more, there's going to be more AI produced uh, literature, do you think there will be awards separated out for ai as compared to to human i know there was something done with photography recently a photographer once won an award with an ai picture and then asked for himself to be withdrawn because he actually wants a category of ai created um sort of art do you think there's a place for that in the end or is it something we we just don't want to think about
1: it's it's interesting you brought that up because i did a show on the future of just general novelists and ai a couple of months ago and the topic came up of copyrights i think i did one on copyrights and ai and the way the rules of copywriting work it has to be given to a human i don't know how who put that in so it has to go back to the the if a writer writes something that wins an award or invent something, they have to say, if it was done through AI, who was the person or people who created the algorithm that did the AI that created the product or the solution or the book, it has to go back, or vice-versa, they have to say, no, the author can get the copyright. It's it's very complicated copyright law. Stephanie, you have given me a, a, a good segue into the prediction from Casey. I've already picked. Casey, I'm going to read this one. I think it's interesting. You say, we will see more writers using AI, such as ChatGPT, to fully write short stories and novels. It's already happening with authors using both writing and design AI tools to quickly produce and send to market new books with minimal effort. This leads to a flood of the already saturated self-publishing and indie market. I'm going to stop there and let you finish that, Casey. Very interesting. Please go ahead.
3: Sure. Yeah. Um, so this is one of the clearly negative effects of AI that we're already seeing kind of immediately. Um, there's been some short uh, short story markets that have already said they've had a huge influx of AI-generated stories to the point where they have to close submissions and figure out how to weed out the AI stories. Um, There are technologies to help detect AI stories, but those haven't kept up to the same degree. So what that means for authors is that it's gonna hamper us getting our stories out there because there's this influx of um, AI-generated stories. And I actually, just the other day, heard of um, this mother and daughter who were generating children's books uh, entirely through AI, publishing them on Amazon, and actually seeing a lot of success to the point where they're starting their own company. Um, So, you know, and I don't think that's gonna stop. I think it's going to continue to flood the market, which is a challenge for readers as well to find stories that they love that aren't necessarily rehashings. Um, But it also makes me think about the difference between kind of doing this for the art versus doing it for commercial reasons, right? There's a little bit of a distinction there and as francesca was saying you know you can't separate the art from the artist so many of us are doing this because we love it we love the process of writing it's very fulfilling to us we would never want to outsource that Um, and those kinds of stories are very different than the commercial ones where you know you're maybe writing from a very um, specific uh, outline and your goal is just to get out books as quickly as possible and um, they could be very formulaic and there is a market for that so I think, you know, that's kind of an interesting and difficult point right now where we are going to be competing with these AI-generated stories. And how everybody deals with that, both writers and readers, uh, you know, remains to be seen to some degree. But I do think it is one of the negatives we're seeing right now.
1: Very interesting. And what you said, I'll call on uh, Francesca and then Stephanie, but Ben also said to him, the fun is in the writing you he wouldn't want something to take over that. That's why he does it. Same you mentioned the same thing, Casey. Francesca, comments, please?
0: Yeah. So my understanding of AI as it is now is that it takes input and data and then spits out something that you want. So it's not creating something new. Mm-hmm. And so thinking about, you know, that that example of the children's book, I'm sure it's very derivative. I'm sure it's something that has been out before. I'm sure it's not something new that, you know, readers haven't seen before. So it's, they can crank out stuff that might be bestsellers. It might be James Patterson-like or Stephen King-like. But as far as like having something new, I, I I struggle to understand if AI is capable
1: of doing that. Interesting. Stephanie, you wanted a comment?
4: Yeah, I was just thinking about the morality of it. You know, how when you create something, but you haven't created it, it's just that, it's partly the human instinct to try and make as much money as you can with the least amount of effort right. on on certain parts isn't it so everyone's in there to try to have a go but I think it's there's it's immoral in a way to to put this work out as, as you know your own um what how do those people sort of live with themselves or i know it's not the biggest question in the world that's the wrong way to put it <laughs> but how do you say well i've, I've earned this money because i'm doing this you you can't really you can't claim the credit um it, it just seems to me a little bit
1: murky Stephanie, that goes to a point about inventions i've spoken to inventors i've had them on the show yeah. and i i have a man I know who has started the National Inventor Club. He's doing very well with it. He's a, an author, and inventor from Long Island. He was on my TV show when I lived there. And I, I won't name him, but he knows who he is. And uh, he invents things like a special kind of an egg holder for the refrigerator. Now, he's not the first one. Any egg farmer, any, I'll call it manufacturer, dairy farmer, is going to have a carton that they put the eggs in. But he made a plastic one where you can push six under the first six so that it takes up less space in the fridge. If you only have six eggs, you don't have a whole thing for 12 that are half empty because you didn't go to the store yet. Now, he didn't invent the egg carton per se. He invented a variation. He also invented some tongs that you can use to grab pasta out of a pot or food out of a salad out of a bowl with a special stop on it so that the tongs don't go out so far that they don't grab. And that these are these are derivative of existing inventions, but they're patentable because it's new and different and it's unique to what it, what was previously patented. So there, there is a fine line there on derivative. Is it new? Is it a new version? Is it a new better mousetrap, if you will? I'm going to stop there. Anybody else have any comments on uh, on Casey's? Ben, you're quiet. Nothing you want to say?
2: No, I, I think I think that's been covered. I think it's a, it's a okay. good point.
1: Fair enough. Thank you. I'm going to go to Stephanie. You're up next. I put your prediction number four in the chat for you. You say, let's get to the characters. That's what I want to talk about. There'll be a lot of AI characters appearing in literature in the traditional sense, the robots, the computers and the like, but I see a more subtle, infiltration. AI can be embedded in a tiny chip. These chips can be embedded oh, oh, in a human. Can you imagine the consequences of replacing phones and computers with a tiny chip AI enabled embedded into us? I'm going to stop there. I'm already having a horror horror moment here. So what? Is, how would this work in novels? Go ahead, Stephanie i think it would bring in the
4: quiet horror and the dread a lot more people think of horror as being jump scares uh the gore but for me horror is quiet it's the things that could actually impact your life um things that could go wrong and i i can see this because it feels so real it is already happening i've seen on the news people had little chips embedded um in their in their wrist to access buildings and things that's already going on but if you if you think you you go beyond that and turn that chip into a communications device so it links you into the internet straight away uh, you don't have to have any of those devices but then you've got the issues we've all tried to keep our computers working properly you do your cleanups you do your defrags you do the the registry clean what happens if ai decides to clean its registry and you are actually the put you are in that registry and it makes you close your eyes I think if it's in there it, it can take control of your thoughts it could interrupt transmissions it could decide what's best for you are you in control of your body anymore I mean that is the scariest thing if it could read your thoughts can it transmit those thoughts to somebody else having that little bit of AI within you or very close to you and controlling your your whole life to me is scarier than any sort of creature that might jump out of the shadows at you or or any ghost because it is actually so real and so possible. Um, there's all sorts of AI that that is going on at the moment. In in my novella um, pause, mm. I used I referred to an invention that was like a thinking cap to read people's thoughts um, for those who are in locked in syndrome. And that was an existing piece of um, information, you know, a bit of kit. And so I like to bring in what's possible and take it further. And for me, it is really scary that AI can get within us
1: and be controlling our lives. And that's, for me, that's where the horror lies. There you go. And that's what will be written about. Anybody have any comments? On- oh, ben, go ahead, please.
2: Actually, t- two things come to mind. Um, first, I, I can't remember if it was in his book on writing or uh, dance macabre, but somewhere Stephen King um, talked about what he thought were the three kinds of horror, right? Uh, horror, terror, and gore. I'm mean, going to ignore terror and gore for now. I want to focus on what he was talking about in horror. And he described horror as the sudden realization that everything in your house and everyone around you has just been replaced by an exact duplicate. <laughs> like this this existential weight this is just wrong um and and you know what stephanie was saying there gets me thinking like you know if you if someone did have an ai chip embedded in their head and you know, wow you can access the internet you can order stuff from amazon just by thinking but suddenly you start wondering are these my thoughts is this insight and input coming from me or is somebody you know with uh installed a cookie in the back of my head to tell me Anytime I see something red, you know, order something from Amazon, um, and that's that's kind of a dreadful feeling. And, and then would, it also would got you me write thinking, that
1: story would you, before you go on? Would you write that story? Would um, that, I have one There, there you go. <laughs> We're trying to talk about the novelist. Thank. Go ahead with your second point, Ben. Please.
2: Oh, it, it got me thinking about something um, which I guess is, is almost a kind of an AI, a, a natural AI, uh, which everyone's thinking about now because of the show The Last of Us. These cordyceps fungus uh, that had the ability to to Take it's a spore that embeds itself in the, the cranium of an ant in the Amazon and directs it, turns it into a zombie, makes it go around and do stuff. Uh, and, and that's sort of a, a very similar thing to, to Stephanie's uh, brain shift there.
1: Somebody else wanted to comment. who wanted Casey, please?
3: Yeah, I think the, um, that idea of you know the chip in our body kind of controlling us actually almost seems like the end point of a continuum that we're already on when you think about social media which is you know a way that we do transmit our thoughts sometimes without you know uh thinking oh, yeah. just type a tweet it's out there it's kind of too late um and also social media itself is designed to manipulate us right we see the notifications we need to click we need those likes it's like a casino you get those dopamine hits so in some sense we're kind of already there where technology is manipulating us has been manipulating us and then this it almost feels like the end point where once it's actually physically embedded to us you know that's just closing the gap everybody already has their phones with them all the time you know you buy something on amazon impulse shopping it's just one more step um so that's kind of eerie and creepy and depressing
1: very and creepy. There you go. Thank you very much, Stephanie. Very provocative. Francesca, I'm looking at your prediction. Number one, let's get to the, the guts of what horror is. I like, I had to say that because it's in your quote, in your prediction, you say the horror genre is all about leaving an impact with the reader, a gut punch, a chill down the spine, an intense emotion an exploration of their fears. Horror is a visceral genre. That gets at the core of the human experience. I'm going to stop there and let you finish that about human experience versus, well, AI is a closed database. It's clo- actually ChatGPT, I think, is closed as of 2021. So it can't troll the internet looking for current. It doesn't know. And it thought that I was the host of somebody else's radio show and somebody else was a host of mine. It got us all mixed up. I thought that was cute. Francesca, talk to us.
0: So I write from a place of, authenticity. I, at least I try to, even though I'm writing fantastical stuff, I can go back to feelings of my own fear, especially growing up in the haunted house when I was a kid. And it's it might sound a little woo-woo, a little metaphysical, but I feel like I'm putting a little bit of myself, a little bit of my soul in my writing. And that's a very human experience. It's a very emotional experience. It's a very visceral experience. And because I am human and I've had those. Um, experiences, I can write about them. Um, I don't know that AI can write from a point of authentic experiences. For me, it feels like it might just fall flat or be kind of, you know, one-dimensional from the reader's perspective. You know, I can dig into those experiences I've had and try to make the reader feel something um, from a human-to-human connection. From an AI-to-human connection, it feels like it might be again, like using the word flat or stale or not as visceral.
1: Interesting. And from the perspective of the reader, the consumer, if you will, what if they knew that a book was written by AI? Would that bring readership to it just out of curiosity to see if it did fall flat to see how we did or didn't like it, if it did or didn't develop or deliver that gut punch, as you said, Francesca, very interesting. That could bring its own type of consumer base, reader's base out of curiosity, maybe not appreciating, but certainly discerning, can we tell? And you know, for years people have said, oh, am I talking to a real person on the phone? If I do a a, a help on a website, if I need help getting around, I will come right out and say, are you a, a chat bot? Are you a person? I will just type right that in. And sometimes it says yes, and sometimes they deny it, but you can tell from the answers it's very stale and and clunky. Anybody want to comment on Francesca's gut punch prediction? No? Stephanie, please, go ahead. Uh, I I was just going to
4: say, I'd actually be one of those trying the books out to read, you know, out of curiosity to see what they're like. I've, You know, we're all saying that they're, they're going to be flat. They're not going to have that nuance but we're actually speaking from a point of view of not having read much, if at all. And so I will yes. be one of those buying some of these books or shorter stories, because it'd be cheaper, just to have a look and assess for myself. And then I'll probably start panicking. At the moment, I'm open yeah. more to the ideas that it's going to generate for the horror stories themselves, how we can use all that's coming within our stories and take it on its horrible sort of logical conclusion and hopefully scare a few people in the process. But I think it'll just be like waving a flag at society. That's what horror writers do. This this could happen if you do this. But yes, I'll be one of those reading some of these stories to see if they are actually mm-hmm. any good.
1: There you go. Is it, has anybody seen the TV show Upload? Anybody seen it?
4: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, interesting. interesting. I couldn't watch it after a while, but a, a gentleman is about to be killed in a car crash that was created because an AI-run AI, pow- AI run bus stopped short in front of the AI-powered car he was driving and his car rear-ended and he dies. And The question is, do you want to give him a regular burial or do you want to send him to an upload place? And his girlfriend and his mother are debating on whether they're going to give him a budget to spend in this AI upload heaven, if you will. And he gets there and there are AI monitors and, and chaperones, if you will, and agents. Am I right, Ben? I saw it a couple of years ago yeah, after yeah. two episodes it was just too creepy for me but the whole the the room he's given a room and he's got there there are parks and there are places and it's it's another world of that type of creation it's actually fascinating just not for me i like more of the the thriller mysteries thank you very much tell you what we have some time left we don't usually have time for a second round but ben i've picked your prediction number four because i thought this was pretty cool let's see if we have time for this you say at some point in the near future clever horror creatives are going to figure out how to to use AI in ways we can't even imagine yet, just as how early internet forums gave rise to new story forums like the creepypasta or low-priced home video recorders contributed to the wave of found footage movies a decade or more before, somewhere out there, someone's going to come up with an interesting way to use AI to create a new form of horror story like we've never seen ben put this out there for your three colleagues on the panel <laughs> maybe one of them or you will be the one to come up with the new creepy genre ben talk for about two minutes and let's go around the table please
2: yeah well i was thinking about how how often and we've actually seen more of these uh, in the last couple of years you know a new storytelling style comes along a new technology is born and suddenly the horror guys like okay we're, we're gonna make this awful <laughs> we're gonna look at how this could all go completely wrong um, I, we were like, I don't know what a few months into the pandemic when the first zoom based horror film came out, which I hate to say, I can't remember the name of the thing, but it was, uh, about some people on a zoom call, I guess, playing with a widget board or something. And, you know, everything goes to hell in a handbasket. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had, uh, as I mentioned in, in that quote or that, that topic, uh, you know, back in the seventies and eighties when home video was becoming a thing, um, we had so many shot on video, direct-to-video movies uh, that were sort of taken over the video stores. And that led to films like The Blood Witch Project from 1999, which embraced that do-it-yourself found footage uh, aesthetic. And so I don't know what this is gonna look like because it, we're, we're just in the opening stages of it. But I think some people are gonna figure out how to use AI to do interesting stuff that I, I can't imagine right now. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes.
1: Well, let's go around the table and see. Does anybody want to name a new horror subgenre? Casey, anything come to mind? No pressure. Uh, Stephanie, well, you, you can think about it. Go ahead.
3: Yeah, I think um, the first thing that came to mind is actually tied to what you were saying about um, you know dealing with the chatbot. You could imagine some interesting interactive fiction, kind of like Choose Your Own Adventure, but where the AI is kind of feeding you the scenarios, almost like a video game hybrid um i think that might be kind of cool right where you're you know putting in some input and then the ai asks you you know do you want to go to to this room or that room or is something like that might be really interesting and kind of different basically next level choose your own adventure type story
1: interesting stephanie any new genres come to mind we just have a couple minutes left but go ahead Uh
4: I was just thinking, the computer in me was thinking about maybe uh, programming code, seeing stories written in code, because it's very much English now. When I started, it was, I, I did the old assembly languages, all very um, numerical, but COBOL was English, SQL, I was there at the start, yep, <laughs> that, me too. that became
1: even more so. Me too, so SQL I, I database, yes, go yeah. ahead. And I did yeah, PL1 I see- also, do you remember PL1? No, not that one. <laughs> I was coding PL1 on an IBM 4341 without the key punch. We actually had a monitor where we could key in the code without having to carry a box with 2000 cards. <laughs> uh, very, very interesting. Oh, Stephanie, we go way back. We have stories to tell. Francesca, any new genres come to mind? Well, not new genres,
0: but I can see how, like, you know, we live in a capitalistic society. So I can see, you know, things like brands sneaking into stories where, we're not drinking a soda, we're drinking Coca-Cola or we're wearing Nike or things like that. Like I can see somehow capitalism getting pushed into the stories
1: more and more. Like brand placement in movies, right? Yeah. You ever think about that? You see they're they're arriving at this big summit and all of the power players and the cartel people and it's, well, well, they're driving a, a Chevy? They're driving a, a Ford. What, how big is that, Lincoln? Yes, we, we all know that. You're absolutely right. Interesting. Ben, you want to predict a, a genre? I have a minute for you before we close.
2: Oh, gosh, I wish I could. Actually, I was thinking about uh, Casey's idea of the Choose Your adventure. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's something that would be publishable, but I can see somebody jumping on and saying, hey, chat GPT, tell me a story where I eat a bug and something terrible happens. I don't know, you know, and then c- kind of poking the chat GPT to continue that story for their own entertainment. could be interesting.
1: I'm com- I came up with something Casey on, on your thread there. What if you could pick your own adventure, but you could say, I want to be a little scared, a lot scared, or, oh my God, climbing the walls, call the fireman and take me off the out, the, I'm about to jump. I'm sorry about that. What if you could pick the level, you know, when you play a game, you play a, a cross stick or you play a jumble or, or whatever, and it says you want the, the easy, the medium or the difficult, what if you could pick the level of fear in a horror story, create your own adventure and how scared you want to be. And they would give you ratings. You want to be at the one level, which is eh, not so bad, but I think I'll leave the lights on tonight when I go to bed. And number three would be, I want to have to call a friend to hold my hand while I read the book. <laughs> and number five would be, yeah, Valley of Time. I can't do with this, but I love it. <laughs> so that would be, Casey, what do you think? Wouldn't that be cool? You could pick the that. level. That would be really cool. see see how we we invent here on the show we're almost out of time i want to thank i don't usually do this but you're all authors you want to give quickly a, a website where people can go to read more about you ben monroe obviously dot com. Oh, i can right read there. i can spell uh casey it's dot com. stephanie where can people go to read more about you Stephanie Ellis.org. Nice and simple. <laughs> S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E-E-L-L-I-S dot yep. Francesca Maria, the lady with two first names. Where would you like people to go?
0: Francescamaria.com.
1: Oh, well, you're all beautiful. dot com. Wonderful. Okay, I have a quick exercise for you. Andrew's telling me you have one minute left. And thank you to, uh, shout out to Mickey Mickelson at Creative Edge PR for introducing me to all of you at one stage or another. It, it's just so wonderful to have you all back. And Stephanie, a pleasure to have you join us. Everybody put up your finger. We're going to do a quick no, no, no together. On the count of three, I'm going to say, <laughs> we're ready for one, two, three, no, no, no. So people say, the future is already here and our answer is one two three no come on no no no, no. no. that's no. come on that wasn't very energetic come on it's only, <laughs> what, let's go the future is already here and we say no no. No, no. No. no 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 you're not scaring me why because that was yesterday's future that was future of two seconds ago the future of now hasn't happened yet and we're all going to do our best to make it I can't say a better one, a more interesting one. Bonnie D signing off. Don't go away. We'll talk for a minute. Bye to LinkedIn. Bye to Facebook, Andrew.
0: Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution The Future of Now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting
1: your future now.